This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Eli on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! And Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. This is Nate Bucati along with Ali Trost and Connell McCourt. And we are presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Well, uh, guys, we enjoyed that game this past weekend, didn't we? Allie, oh, yeah. how you doing? I'm doing very well. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's really hard to pick out any bad thing about Sporting Kansas City in that <laughs> match. So uh, a, a huge momentum boost, I think, for this team as they go on the road for a difficult match against San Jose. So hoping to see them carry that same momentum, especially around the net. Connell, how you doing, man? All good, mate. Can't complain. Um, I mean, it was a, I mean, I wouldn't say routine victory, but as Tim said, the best that we've seen Sporting play this year, for sure. Everything looked so complete. They were so well connected. Everybody looked cohesive as a unit. And as Ali said, hopefully continue the same going into San Jose. It'll be a different animal going into San Jose, but I mean, hopefully they can just kind of take the confidence from that last week into this one. Okay, so the Tim that Connell was referring to is Tim Melia. He's going to join us on the show next. We'll pull the curtain back a little bit and let you know that we taped that earlier today. No worries. It's uh, we're, we're here in the lush uh, multimedia 810 WHB studios. We got the Sporting KC flag in the background. We got the nice bubbly Michelob Ultra on the video board. Tim's going to join us via Zoom, so we'll see his beautiful face as well. Uh, that's coming up on the show. I'll go ahead and lay out the menu for you. Yes, we will break down that 3 0 victory over the Vancouver Whitecaps this past weekend, a thoroughly dominant performance. We will also look ahead to a very difficult matchup on the road at San Jose coming up late Saturday night. And we're going to hear from Greg Berhalter, the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, because I got my tickets. I don't know about you guys. I went ahead and bought all three tickets for my entire family. Took a little chunk out of my wallet, but I don't care. I'm so excited about the United States men's national team being here for all three games of group play in the Gold Cup Five matches we're going to get to watch here in the span of just over a week. So we're going to hear from Greg Berhalter about that as well coming up on the show. I've got the dates and times for those U.S. games just for people listening if they want to go and figure, go. check their schedules yep. while you're listening yep. to the show. Sunday, July 11th, 7.30 p.m. U.S. against TBD, the winner of the prelims, game number seven. This is written kind of weird. Um, and then Thursday, July 15th, U.S. against Martinique. Am I saying that right? Yep, you got Gosh, it. You guys, this Martinique. Is yeah. Martinique, 8.30 p.m. And then Sunday, July 18th, 4 p.m. U.S. versus Canada. The great thing about CONCACAF soccer is you learn all the little island nations after a while. You know, I you know. To That's the Caribbean? Yeah. It's a Caribbean island? Yeah, yeah you, get to, you get to figure out which ones were French territories, which ones were Netherlands I'm also squinting, yeah. too, because, like, I can't <laughs> zoom in on my email, so I'm like, I think that's an I and a Q. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah. my eyes are getting bad. I mean, that USA-Canada one <laughs> is a, a really game. tasty one. You can buy single-game tickets coming up as well. You can go to SeatGeek.com. We want to pack that place because this is, to me, a dress rehearsal. This is a, a chance to show again why Kansas City deserves to host the World Cup coming up in five years' time. 
And, and it's just a chance to watch your national team play that's filled with young, exciting players. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll hear from Greg Berhalter on and that in just a second. Of course, second. by that stage, it's full capacity, right? Yep, Everything full capacity. The 29th of May this, yeah. this month, full yeah. capacity. So they could really get that place rocking, especially against Canada. That's a big one. Like You don't want to be getting upset by... The Canadians on your home turf, so. I'd sure like to think that the American outlaws all over the country are looking forward to come Because the thing is, too, usually the U.S. plays in one place, one place, one place, mm-hmm. in all three different games of the group stage. If you're an American soccer fan, and if you're listening to this podcast from other parts, come visit Kansas City in the most beautiful time of the year. I'm just kidding. July is not the most <laughs> beautiful time of the year in Kansas City. But it will be a beautiful week for soccer. And you get to camp out because you know you're going to get to watch your team play all three times. You don't have to travel anywhere. Check out the World War One Museum. Check out the Negro Leagues Museum. Get some barbecue. Do some touristy stuff and watch the U.S. play. Come sweat uh, in the Midwest. Oh, That's man. our new uh, tagline. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you, uh, you can come hang out at the, at the swimming pool with us somewhere. I don't know. Um, so, guys, let's, uh, let's get into it. Sporting Kansas City 3, Vancouver Whitecaps nil. Uh, Connell, I'll start with you. You said, uh, you know, a little bit routine, not really anything to complain about in the game. Give me something that stood out to you the most, that maybe impressed you the most out of this game for Sporting KC. Honestly, it was probably Elia at center half. Um, we spoke about it last week, and we had, it was just kind of a suggestion. I think you may have thrown out we could see Elia play mm-hmm. there. Yeah, so and I, he, I, by the way, no inside information on that, just other than that yep. we'd seen him play there before. And it was a matter of, um, we all know how comfortable he is in the ball, but that's a completely different, especially up against two strikers. I was a wee bit, wow, I couldn't really believe that he it was a originally a defensive midfielder playing centre half, but didn't look one one bit out of place. Like, did he? Everything good about what he does, holds the ball, protects it, lends it to the other defenders. And Sporting just, they look rampant from the start. Obviously, Busio playing a worldly again, as we're used to seeing him play in all different places. But now it comes to, do you keep Elia there? Seeing as they're playing so well, like you don't fix what isn't broken, and especially with h- how good Busio was in the holding position, do you kind of mix that up a bit, or do you keep it the same going into San Jose? If you get, it's a good problem to have for yeah. sure for Peter Vermees to have all these different things that he can from, can pull from. But I mean, going in with l- how they played last week, they'll be brimming full of confidence going into San Jose this week. So I had a chance to talk to Elia today at training, and it's always fascinating to pick his brain about the beautiful game. Um, and I asked him, you know, because one of the things that stood out to me about him playing center back is he seemed to be in the right place all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, as a person who never was asked to play center back and never would be at any level of my life, I always thought that's one of the most difficult things about the job is just knowing where to be at all the t- sure. at all times. Yeah. Um, and, and I asked him about that, and he said it is difficult because you have to read where your teammates are. You have to read where all of the opponents on the, on, the, uh, on the opposite side are, where the ball is. And he says, and then all of a sudden, the opponent in front of you goes left instead of right, and it changes the calculus on all of that, and you're mm-hmm. constantly having to react to it. So I said, well, as a guy that's played six your whole life, how do you, how do you know where to be? And he said, listen, I listen. I listen to my teammates. Um, I listen during the game. I paid attention. He said it was easier for him going into the game knowing where he was going to play mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, in the game against Austin, he dropped back there in the middle of the game. Right. And they were up a man, so he didn't have to defend as much at that time. But I think it shows the soccer IQ of Elie right there, and it will be interesting to see how they manage it going forward. A lot of that's probably going to depend on who's available and who isn't. Um, and the opponent as well. Because, yeah. I mean, the way yeah. that they played, I mean, as we you know have talked about, I think just off camera and off air here is that, Elie is so good on the ball. Fontes is so good on the ball. Busio is so good on the ball. When you're a team that can play and distribute so well, in the, I mean, 
all of the stats will show you that Sporting Kansas City, just by the numbers, completely just was it was a total mismatch. They took away any ability for Vancouver to play any sort of of their own style or impose their their will on the match and just their quality on the ball. And it's interesting that you say that he told you that, you know, like he likes to just listen because we talked with Fontas at training today and, you know, a couple of Spaniards, they speak to each other in Catalan out on the, on, on the pitch. So they kind of have that familiar, you know, that chemistry, not just in mm-hmm. quality of play. And, you know, Fontas was just hyping up Elie saying just, you know, he's such a quality footballer and he just, you know, knows the game so well when your IQ is that high in the sport, you're just able to, you know, positionally or, you know, the way that you read cer- certain situations, it's just a, a notch above. And I think Elie is one of those players. But the fact that they're able to speak to each other like that, there's a competitive advantage there if you're playing against a team that doesn't have a lot of uh, maybe Spanish or Catalan-speaking individuals on there. So uh, Fontas was just laughing about that, just about, you know, that that relationship between the two of them. Certainly, you had to wonder if there's some sort of mind meld going on between. We saw the, the chemistry that, that Matt Beasley would have with guys at certain times in his career and Chemistry means a lot on that back line. All right, Ali, what was something that stood out to you from the game? Oh, just, I mean... You have to pick one. That's a tough part. Like, Peter Ramiz, after the game, by the way, listed off all 11 starters when Carter Augustine asked him about what impressed him in the game. You could pick every single guy, so it's an open it's an open book for and, you. I'm just asking you to pick one thing, and I know it's hard to pick just one. Well, let's go with the man of the match, and that is Alan Polito. I mean, he scores a brace. We've talked about, you know, with this team, any issues that you could point out could kind of come back to at least offensively not getting Alan Polito the ball enough or not getting him in scoring positions enough uh, but it's hard to bring up Alan Polito and not bring up Daniel Shallowy as well I thought he was fantastic in that game drawing the foul that led to the penalty kick and just uh, so much to go around but Alan Polito would have to be you know the player that impressed me in that in that game because that's that's what Sporting Kansas City brought him in for and to see him playing at the level that he is even early in the season on limited minutes and I mean I found a a stat if I can pull it up here, but most goals and primary assists per 90 minutes, Alan Polito leads the league in that in that category. So a couple of things to add on that with Polito. Number one, you can take for granted that he converted the penalty, but you shouldn't. Um, I, I heard a stat, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, Chicharito, as amazing as he's been this year, you know, he missed a penalty. Um, I think he's, he's like 50% mm-hmm. from the penalty spot. Um, this is one of the best goals. This is the best goal scorer in Mexican history. And we've seen it. There have been years where Sporting KC have had Elie take the penalties because they didn't have a guy that they could really trust to step up there. And how nice is it to know you got a guy like Alan Polito that just seems to be rock solid and he puts it in the bottom corner just mm-hmm. as cool as you like. Not one person in that stadium thought he was missing that penalty. Right. Not one. Right. Yeah, there is no, that. Not, not the goalkeeper on the other side. But by even the way. like it used to be kind of more. I mean, I know stats are coming more into the game, and Tim's a great example of it. It's not really a lotto anymore. It kind of used to be a coin flip if it went to penalties or whatever. Now it's such a fine art. This is something that these guys study day and daily. Who will be hitting the penalties for them? Where have they hit their last few penalties? Where do they usually miss? Where mm-hmm. every There's so much analytics going into it now. It's not really, as you're saying, you can't really take it for granted anymore. And when he stood up to take the penalty, everyone I think everyone was kept, oh, okay, just bring the ball back to the center. Yeah, because it, it was just a matter of time. Everybody yeah. knew it was going in, and that's just the confidence that he brings to the team. Yeah, like, and, and Sporting didn't always have that either. I mean, I remember a couple seasons ago when Ilya was the go-to. I mean, it kind of just was who's hot and, and who's mm-hmm. been consistent 
um, from the PK spot. But Alan Polito, if he's on the field, he's that guy. Yeah, there's no there's controversy. No like, nobody's trying to take the ball away no. from him. Uh, none of that stuff happens. It's This is your ball. You go put this penalty away, and we, we move on. I still believe that whoever gets the foul should be the one forced to take the penalty. I think that's a rule that soccer should absolutely implement. Like in basketball, it would be so much more entertaining mm-hmm. if the guy who got taken down. And because I'd love it, like all of a sudden, you like- know, Fontas has to take the penalty because he got fouled on a on a corner kick or something. It would just be great drama, but that's not the way soccer is. So if it's this way, Alan Polito's your guy. It's Sporting's lucky there. The There's other just thing, so fewer of them. So yeah. it's like it makes sense, like compared yeah. to basketball. No, but- it doesn't make any sense. You earn the foul. You should have to take the penalty. Uh, but then what's the point of having a designated penalty taker then? You don't have one. No. That's my point. Like they shouldn't you shouldn't get to have a designated penalty. The guy that gets fouled should have to take the penalty. Why not? Get FIFA on the, Let's go. the lane then. Let's go. That's this a can rule. be a segment down the line, this, but I talked about this with Chad Reynolds, and there's like a fun game you can play. Like, what is one rule that you would create for soccer? That's that, the one. I would change offside. That's what would you do? What would you change about I it? think you should be all this sounds ludicrous, but I think you should be onside as long as any part of your body is in line with the defender. I 100% agree. I agree. Because then you're given yeah. the advantage of the striker yeah. again. I mean, and it's going to be... There's gonna be, what we like to see goals? You don't think it should goals? be like in the uh, FA Cup final where a sliver of a man's fingernail like is I, offside? I, I, and, uh, how bad is that? Like, that and that's like a brutal. waste of VAR time, yeah, too. When brutal. you're trying to like analyze so to like the nth of... like It's like a pinky nail. And this yeah. country, for all people love to kick it from pillar to post... It, in soccer terms, this country is the only country that gets VAR, right? Not the only, but see when you look at it compared to like the Premier League mm-hmm. and how sometimes even Bundesliga and Italian yeah. League and stuff. Yeah, it seems to be here. It's every time it's used, it's kind of well, we know why that was used. Sometimes they use it now, and you're off say by an armpit or yeah. <laughs> that's not the spirit of the law. That's no, not what it's it's not, that was it's not what it was meant to overturn. It was it was meant to overturn clear and obvious mistakes. Guys, obviously offside. There's no unfair advantage when a guy's shoulder blade is barely past the defender. No. Um, you're right about that. Uh, but we digress. You know what? I don't even have to give you guys what I like the most. Do, do, I, do I give something? Should I give something? I I think you should, should give something. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. I am borderline. Um, I, I think maybe I've already crossed over the line of fanboying on Gianluca Busio <laughs> right now to the point where the Matt Beasler jokes are going to go away, and and I, you know, I feel like I'm. You There's know, a new favorite in town. I, Look man, out! I, I feel like Matt such, really I feel like such a floozy. I feel like such a floozy. Like you know, I'm just already. I'm already giving my heart to someone else. But it's the truth is the kid's incredible. The kid is incredible, and I get to still call him a kid because I'm 45 and he's 18 years old. Um, but but. And some people have said I bring up his age too much. Other people have said we don't make enough of his age. To play the 6, the 10, and the 9, two games apiece in six games already this year, and in at least one of each of those games be the best player on the field for SKC, in my opinion, is incredible. And we're going to talk with Tim about it. He didn't do anything in that game that would make a highlight package. No. He just did every right thing. And the reason that's significant to me is he's 18 again. This is a thinking man sport. We just spent time talking about the communication between Elie and Fontas. These guys have been playing soccer forever. You know, Graham Zussi and Roger Espinosa, two of the greatest players in the history of this franchise, were trying to make a college team at the time that, that, that Gianluca Busio was doing what he's doing. And he's not just out there playing. He's playing at some of the most important positions on the field. They're all important. I, I don't want to make one position more important than the other. But he's playing incredibly important roles and, and doing it like like an old pro, it's Nothing just it's, him. it's 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 incredible. It just seems like he's never under pressure. He's never even if even if he hits a shot and he balloons it into the, he'll get the ball again. He'll try it again, or he'll give it to someone who is in a better. But this looks like nothing phases him. His confidence is never 
never touched by anything that goes on in the field, and he'll go far. He has a long, long career ahead of him. There's a Patrick Mahomes quality to him, and boy, that's going to make some people really mad. Well, <laughs> and, and I, so something that I think about a lot is, and I want to go back and watch some of those 2019 games when he started getting um, his first pro minutes with the first team and then kind of compare that to 2020 because I feel like, one of the arguments that you could have made against Busio in those 2019, those early games that he was playing was that physically he'd get outmatched a lot. And I think the way that he's been able to counteract that with just his what's up here mentally and mm -hmm. studying the game and the way that he's able to utilize his body to his advantage now and be a little bit more elusive and just so smart on the ball has completely taken out that maybe physical disadvantage that sometimes he you know, will still run into, but would maybe get hurt by in the past. And I think that he's really managed that incredibly well. And it's just, he's so quality. I mean, Vermees has talked about it all the time. The reason that they can move him from an attacking midfielder role to a false nine or to a nine, um, and then, you know, back to D mid and you get games, like you said, Nate, where you could argue he was the best player on the field in a number of different positions. And it's just outstanding. The game moved through him against Vancouver. Whether he was a metronome or a sprinkler head, I, I was you know I was under a barrage of a, of attacks by people for those metaphors in the game. But and, and now I will also say this: I would never in my wildest dreams make the the Patrick Mahomes comment on the morning show because I would probably be thrown out of the studio. <laughs> it's, you know, you this don't is wanna, a safe space, Nate. But this is a, I feel like this is a safe space to say this. And this is the only area. It just and this just popped into my mind when when Connell was talking about him. The thing you hear a lot about Patrick Mahomes from Andy Reid is the rate at which he learns. Mm -hmm. You know, when he makes a mistake, he learns from it immediately, and he rarely repeats that mistake. Mm -hmm. Every time he sees something new, he's able to process it and grow from it. And that's the thing about Boosie. I mean, the rate of his learning at 18 years old and processing has been incredible. So uh, that's, that's it for me. But, but again, uh, we're, we're leaving out a bunch of players because, again, Peter Vermees referenced all 11 starters when he talked about what a good performance it was from Sporting Kansas City as they get the 3-0 win. One of those guys that had a great performance, Tim Melia, the goalkeeper for SKC. We will talk with him next right here on the Sporting Kansas City Show presented by Michelob Ultra. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. And, of course, we are presented by wonderful taste of Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. We're joined now by Sporting Kansas City goalkeeper Tim Milia, the record holder in just about every individual accolade you can have as a goalkeeper in Sporting KC history. And he's back, baby. He returned with a clean sheet and the 3-0 victory over the Vancouver Whitecaps this past weekend. Tim, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. What do you think of this setup here? You, you can see us. We can see you a little bit. We got the fancy studio here. You know, it's a little different than what we've done in the past. But, uh, you know, it's, you're moving up in the world with the way this, uh, this, this studio is set up now. <laughs> it looks good. You got the, the wood paneling in the back. You got a bunch of employees. Everyone's looking pretty on camera. You guys are flying on all cylinders over there. Yeah, we get, get bodies moving around here, and it makes it look <laughs> like it's really action-packed. That, that's for sure. Um, well, let's start off with this. I mean, just – how does it feel to be back, man? I mean, after, you know, I'm sure it was incredibly frustrating for you to have to start the season uh, from the sidelines, but but just getting back out there and all that, how does uh, how does it feel? How did it feel to be out there uh, this past weekend? It, it was it was incredible. It, it was nerve-wracking, you know, just to, just to get injured the way I did and at the timing that I did uh, was 
like you said, very frustrating. Uh, you try to kind of back back out and look at those things from you know a wide out lens and say, hey, I got injured at the beginning of the year. Um, there's a lot of time here. The type of injury I had was only going to take weeks, not months. It didn't require surgery. So you try to keep a very positive perspective on everything. And then just to be able to get out there probably quicker than we expected, just to hear the fans again, to for the team to perform that the way they did and to, to give me a, a gift of a game. I mean, <laughs> I think Polito made more saves than I did in the game. And just our overall team performance was, was great. So all positive things come back and I'm really looking forward to, you know, get going now. Tim, you mentioned the difficulty of having to start the season from the sideline, but I've talked to players in the past who say that time where you are watching from the sideline or watching from a different seat in the stadium allows to, allows you to have a new perspective on the game or see things that you might not be able to see when you're in it. Was there anything that you took away from getting to watch the team from a different angle than you're used to? So I, I remember I was a starter a lot later in my career, so I did that for too long watching the team play. So it's like a it's been a while, sickening feeling in your stomach when you're sitting up there not playing. Um, it, it does seem a lot slower uh, when you're watching up there because you know you have all the time in the world to, to look at where everybody is, and you don't have any pressure on you when you're making decisions, and you can be like, oh, why can't you see this guy all, all the way on the other side of the field? But and it's just so it's so much different when you're on the field. Uh, I thought that the way that we started the season because we had a ton of we had a ton of injuries in, in all different positions, and I thought that we we came together as a team each game, and each game we were getting a little bit better. And I think that we're starting to show the style of team we want to be now, and it's just going to take time. Tim, you were saying uh, it was a bit nerve wracking coming back in your first game back. Is it kind of are you almost wanting a shot or something to do early on just to kind of settle your nerves to get back into, you know, how you were playing last year and stuff? Or is it, a, I mean, obviously coming into the game against Vancouver, you're expecting that Sporting are going to dominate the possession, which it turned out to happen that way. Is there any part of you that kind of wants a shot or wants something to do early on just to kind of get back in the rhythm of things? Absolutely not. I don't want to have every game where I'm just making passes, you know, directing people and, and getting those shots. Those are my favorite games. I've always said that the games that I'm most happy about are the games that I literally don't have to do anything because that just means that we're organized. We, you know, we actually put a game plan in place and, and we completed it. So those are the type of games I look forward to. Being out, not being, you know, when you're coming back from injury, you're never getting the rhythm that you want because you're always – you're training and you're not training and training and you're not training and trying to make sure your body's healing then also getting adamant amount of time of just you know rhythm within the within the game so all in all i just thought that you know for me to get any any type of game as a first game coming off injury that the team did me a huge huge solid by having that type of game so the big theme of the game in, in a lot of terms was just how well sporting kansas city passed the ball and we've always known and thought of you guys as a great passing team and a great possession team, but this one was at a different level. I mean, it was, uh, I believe the final stat said, the greatest passing performance in terms of completion percentage in the history of the stadium. Uh, ten guys, or nine guys, uh, including a couple of reserves, came in to the game, completed over 90% of their passes, and you were one of them. So that was obviously a huge reason um, that the game was the way that you just described it in terms of, uh, uh, you know, you didn't have to make too many saves in the game. When you're watching, you got a better view of it than anybody, maybe, because the other 10 guys were all in front of you. 
I've asked everybody I can find this question, but but why? What what can you put your finger on why it all came together? Why you guys were so excellent in that regard in this game? So uh, when you go back and watch the game, it, and I, I mean when I say this, I, I think the performance was was our best performance to date of this season. Um, but and I think this is very important for all of us to understand this and, and respect this is we did nothing in that game that is not repeatable. We weren't, you know, guys weren't scoring with the outside of their foot from 30 yards away. They weren't sending in these dicing passes that, you know, one out of 20 come off. Everything we did in that game, we did the simple option and we did it over and over and over to the point where we just disrupted Vancouver so much that they didn't know where to go and we got them away from their style of play. And I, I think that's why that game was so important for us because we trained that all day in training. You know, we, we work on that in preseason. We work on, like, building out from the back. And we finally we finally performed it completely on the field. And I just think that we need to, as a team, understand that we can do that again because the things we were doing were simple things. We just kept doing simple things over and over. So to, to build on that, one of the sequences that, uh, that I think I'll, I'll give a little sneak preview to, uh, to our viewers for the broadcast on Saturday night, I know Jacob Peterson, I asked him, like, hey, can you find some clips in the game that really illustrate when sporting were at their best at this? And he picked out the sequence that led up to the penalty kick. 22 passes, all 11 guys touched the ball. So I went back and I watched it, and I would say the first minute or so of that was – Basically a sequence of you guys passing the ball back and forth across the back line for a while. Then all of a sudden it was like, it, 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 just watching it, it seemed like everybody realized at the exact same time, now it's time to go forward. And this is the, this is the opportunity we have. And then it was, boom, incisive. Three passes later, it's in the penalty area. And you guys have a penalty out of it. Um, possessing the ball with those simple passes that you just described is, is one thing. But then it's also like, because sometimes you'll see teams just pass the ball around and they're not going anywhere, right? But you guys seem to have that knack for knowing exactly when it was time to go be dangerous and attack. That can't be easy, is it? I mean, like, how, how, was it just one of those situations where you guys were feeling it in that regard? Is that something you guys have been kind of building toward? How, how would you describe that? I think we've been building for, for years. And I think now we, we have players in there that are, you know, performing at a very high level you, you look at Busio and the amount of different positions he's played and excelled at every single one of them but I thought his game against Vancouver was the best game of the season just how he connected our center backs to our midfield to our wingers mm-hmm. um, I thought the the effort from from Daniel and Kyrie coming back and tucking in and getting the ball and then laying it off either into the midfield and back out to a fullback and then being able to find Polito underneath and all our movement collectively was just was just so good. But I, I think it goes back to the point of what you just spoke about where you said that sometimes when you have possession, you're just knocking it around in the back. And when you're doing that, you get uncomfortable. But when you're doing that, it's making the other team make little movements that are making them uncomfortable. And if you're patient enough and you believe in what you're doing, it, it will open up eventually. It's not going to open up maybe exactly when you want it to, but if you're patient, you you know you watch like the Man Cities play, where it almost looks like the team just kind of gets within 40 yards from goal and just compacts themselves, and then there's guys with so much time and space all over the place. 
And the reason that is, is because they're just patient making those comfortable passes until, you know, an opportunity presents itself. Well, I know that, um, you know, Busio's talked about it. Jacob's talked about it. Finding those triggers in the opposition that, you know, allow for some of those different things to then happen or for the whole team to just kind of go. But, you know, the possession was outstanding. And you mentioned Busio. I mean, his passing map after that game was a, it was a spider web. I mean, he was connecting every yeah. single area of the game. And, you know, another part of that too, Tim, is, the two center backs and I mean, two great playmakers with their feet and Andre Ufantas and Elie Sanchez. What was it like having those two play in front of you at center back? It's funny. I've, at, at other teams you play with, I'm not going to say Ilya is playing out of position. Ilya is a number six. Everyone knows that. But it, it's funny when you get those guys in the back line because they have this level of comfort right around your goal that just other <laughs> players don't have. And it like, you like, tend to get closer to them because you're like you see how casual they are but I mean Ilya is such a good passer of the ball and to have someone like that in combination with Fontas who is another like his best attribute is his ability on the ball it 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 really leads to a very interesting and a very rewarding situation coming out of the back and then you throw in Zeus I thought Zeus was phenomenal that game as well his ability just to you know find open space on the opposite side of the field crank balls 60 yards across the field is crazy tim do you guys alter on the week going up to vancouver you know that they play two up top and not a lot of teams play two up top anymore does that not limit but does it kind of change the dynamic of how often you want to play it i mean you guys love to play out of the back but obviously there's going to be more pressure if there's two up do you, do you have to kind of pick and choose your moments to play? To the, obviously, it kind of helps that Elia and Stutz are so good on the ball. You're kind of only lending it to them and, and giving it back. But does it change the dynamic at all of how do you guys try to counteract playing against a two if they're going to be pushing up when you're trying to play out? I think it's actually easier. Uh, you have that one left person sitting in the center of the field. So the two strikers are always naturally going to go to the center backs. And then if it goes to the goalie, it's going to go center back goalie. And then you only have like most likely one guy in the midfield at that point, if they're in a four, four, two, the other guy's going to be recovering. So I think it actually, it makes you have to play faster, but when you do play, there is that space in the midfield. And it, I, I know a lot of teams don't do it. San Jose is not going to be one team that does that, but, um, in the past, I feel like our team has actually had success playing out against the four-four-two uh, over like a four-five-one or something. So, if they're pushing up and you're saying it leaves one in the middle, does that is there kind of a tendency of you might want to go long and play because you guys don't like to really play long as it seems. But if there's two pushing up and it's leaving just one in the middle, would you? Is it ever in your mind that you could just go long and knock it into? Obviously, you guys will have more in the middle than they will to Allen or someone mm-hmm. yeah but just I, I think that it's a it's almost like you're you're trying to set the mentality when you're playing out of the back you know playing out of the back is not more than likely is not going to lead to someone scoring sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but it's, it's more of the, the mentality and you want to like check the other team and go hey we're keeping the ball we are going to you know make you come all the way to our goal we're going to open you up and then we're going to try to get into the midfield fast and then get out to the wing or something. So I think it's just more the mentality of we can do this. We're going to keep the ball. So then the team recognizes that. And then they sit a little deeper, give us space to be more creative. 
Once again, we're visiting with Tim Mealy, and I mentioned it. You know, people might take this for granted, but you were one of the guys that was over 90% passing, and I've seen goalkeepers come into Children's Mercy Park and spray balls into the stands from back there and all that stuff. So that that is not Myself something that, included. <laughs> it happens to everybody at some point, right? But uh, you did have one incompletion during the day, Tim. What happened there? Do you yeah. <laughs> do you remember I that? I do one? remember it. You I, do? Yeah, I got a ball back pass. Santos was in the middle. Busio was behind him. Uh, Cavallini checked me. I clipped it out to the left, and I was trying to hit Luis, but I don't remember who like ran back and flipped it. So okay, that's that's the one incompletion. I do remember that. All right, well, I was being a smart Alec. I didn't think I, you know I'm like one incompletion isn't so, isn't so bad uh, through the course of the game. But I guess if you only have one, you might remember what it is. Hey, hey, Tim, to to shift gears a little bit now. Um, Ali talked about. The, the process of you having to sit on the side and watch and what you could gain from it. But I also wanted to ask you the, the process of, of watching a young goalkeeper like John Pulskamp do the job. And I had a chance to talk with him for a while before the season started. And he has, he's been around some other goalkeepers. You know, he's been over at Bournemouth. He's, he, you know, he was in the LA system and he said, a lot of times you're a young guy, and you can speak to this because obviously, like you said, you, you were you were riding the bench for a long time in your career before you finally got your shot. He said a lot of number ones don't really give you much of the time of day when um, when you're a young backup that might be competing for the job or whatever. And he said that you've never been that way. He said you you've taken him to dinner, you've you've taken him under your wing, you've talked to him about the importance of getting in the weight room and all these other aspects that he's learned from you. Why are you like that? Um, it, when maybe other goalkeepers that, that have that job wouldn't be that way? I've always been shown the same things from other goalies in front of me. So, And I think it's important. It, it, listen, we all want to play. It's a competitive friendship is the best way I can explain it. But, you know, because John performed so well and because he was out there, you know, making saves, you know, getting us points, it allowed me time to get back to fitness. If John wasn't performing the way he was, you know, there'd probably be a different conversation that I'd maybe have to play earlier than I was ready. And it's just not going to help the team. Mm -hmm. So whenever another goalkeeper is playing, and especially one of John who is in incredibly talented and has a very, very bright future, you know, I want I want him to go out there and have the best success for all of us because it, it is a team game and you know say say a different goalkeeper went out there and we didn't win any games you know now when you're coming back you're coming back to a team that's gonna have to climb and crawl back up a ladder to get yourself into a good playoff position you know this is a team sport and for me if if whether you're playing or you're not playing you have to do everything to help the next person succeed. Yes, there's competition. Yes, it's your job. It's your career. It's how you support your families. But there's also an element of it where, you know, if you're going to be out in the short term, you got to make sure you're doing everything to make sure that person is prepared mentally, physically, and helping that person excel. So what's your advice to John Polskamp on becoming uh, the PK hero? And, and I bring this up so that we can kind of transition into the San Jose game a little bit. Um, Tim's favorite part, talking about himself. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. You're, you love talking about yourself. But um, has Polskamp ever picked your brain about the the PK preparation have, that I know no, you're very we, thorough about? Yeah, we did. So I wasn't involved in the PK discussions leading up to the games that I wasn't playing. So I didn't really talk to him about the play. We talked about plays in the game. We talked about different scenarios, but because there was no penalties, 
I wasn't involved in the, uh, the legwork that goes on before the games. Well, are you excited to see San Jose again after, uh, I don't know, you could say that was a pretty eventful game uh, <laughs> at the end of last season? <laughs> uh, yes, but San Jose is a difficult team. San Jose is an organized chaos, the way everyone explains yeah. it. I think it really hits the nail on the head with that. I mean, they're a team that has a very high expected goals, similar to us. Uh, they're a team that they have now they have a young guy getting out athletic up top. Uh, it's going to be a very difficult game. They're coming off, you know, a result that they're probably not going to be happy with. And it, it's going to be a challenging game for us. Well, Tim, it's going to be a fun game, too. And the team's flying high. It's great to have you back. I'm sure that makes a lot of Sporting KC fans feel great about this trip out to San Jose. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna preview that matchup here in just a minute coming up on the show. But thank you so much for the time, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. All right, that is Tim Melia, goalkeeper for Sporting KC. Oh, I didn't ask it. Wait, before you go, Tim, uh, this is one of my favorite moments. I don't know if you guys were in the stadium for this, but when Timmy went out on the field, you know what song was playing when he went out for his warm up before it? the game? Uh, Culture Club. Song. Culture Club. Karma <laughs> Chameleon. How did it, does that get you yet? Like, I mean, because at first, I was jamming. I was just running, <laughs> I was wa- I was kind of like minding my own business, walking into the booth with Jake, and Jake was in there doing some work, and that song came on, and it took me like ten seconds to. I'm like, man, that's an interesting choice to play, <laughs> and because they had been playing all rain themed songs, like everything was oh, like yeah. Purple Rain and Fool in the Rain and all this stuff. Then I was like. Karma Chameleon, what does that have to do with the rain? And then I saw Tim Mealy out there warming up. I was like, here we go. <laughs> see, just on that, actually celebrating and stuff, Tim, did you see uh, the Liverpool goalkeeper Allison scored last yeah, week? I did. That's ha- my dream. Have you ever, I was going to ask, have you ever even came close, went up for a corner? So my first professional game, and I swear to this situation, but I've never gone back to watch it on film, and it's probably not how I remember it, but my first professional game in Chivas, uh, or maybe it was my second game. I don't remember. But we were losing to Dallas in Dallas 2-1. End of the year, I ran all the way forward. The ball bounces out to me, but I'm faced the wrong direction. And in my mind, I just, like, perfectly lay this ball back for Ben Zemanski. Yeah, there's a name probably, yeah, I don't remember anymore, but for him to just smack it. And all he's got to do is shoot it. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, my hands are right. I'm like, you can't believe you can't do that. Like, later I went back and, like, saw the video. I literally, like, volleyed the ball. At him. <laughs> I like, didn't know what I was doing. Okay. Yeah. You're more comfortable in the other goal? Yeah. Territory. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. was, that that was, was not – Go ahead. I'll say that was the closest I've ever been to being near the other net. Well, that was not the Tim Melia that, that completes 93% of his passes like yeah. we have now. <laughs> um, this Tim Melia would have would have dropped a dime Absolutely. in the Zemanski. Maybe put someday. Assists, yeah. assists. I, now I know, though, I'm going to say, hey, this, you know, if, if we ever get in a scenario where Tim Melia comes flying up the field, I'm going to say, this is his opportunity yeah. right here. I'm not going to rule it out. Now that we know that <laughs> you've done something similar, yeah. you're yeah. even more prepared. Yeah, I think he can get there. Hey, Tim, thanks again for the time. We really appreciate it, man. Of course, we'll see you guys soon. All right, that's Tim Milia. We will be back to uh, to uh, preview this matchup against San Jose right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. You're listening to the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show. Nate Bucati, Ali Trost, Connell McCourt with you, presented by Michelob Ultra. We're going to get into the San Jose game in just a moment, but we did have some comments from Greg Berhalter about coming to Kansas City. Again, the three games in July. You can get tickets at SeatGeek.com. Here is what Greg Berhalter had to say 
about the U.S. coming to KC. Kansas City is a fantastic soccer city. Um, their fans, their stadium creates an atmosphere that um, you know is is almost second to none in U.S. soccer. Their training facilities, their rehab facility, um, all that make it an ideal setting for the U.S. to be based in. We're excited about that. Um, we have a good relationship with Kansas City, with Sporting Kansas City, and you know we know the fans uh, really bring it in Kansas. So we're we're excited about that. So there's Greg Berhalter, and this is what they had in mind when they built. Compass Minerals National Performance Center. There are big U.S. soccer logos all over the complex out there, guys. This is almost like exactly the type of scenario that was created for that complex. Yeah, and it's great that this is lining up, too, with full capacity and fans getting to to really, you know, the full experience of what it's like to play in Kansas City at some state-of-the-art facilities is like and at a state-of-the-art facility like Children's Mercy Park. But then, of course, the training facilities as well. I mean, it's just what Sporting Kansas City and, you know, what Vermees have built here is nothing short of incredible. And it's just going to be great for the city of Kansas City and the surround. I mean, it's great for the Midwest, too, because, you know, this is not something that was standard uh, as far as perception of places, you know, destinations for big soccer or sporting events. Well, this is why they built it, right? This is you're kind of seeing this is kind of all the stuff that was promised and it's. Mm-hmm. Coming true now, you're having the U.S. come to town for three separate games. That means, I mean, look, some of those games will sell out quick, so I would say get on it quick. But some kids that live around here may not really be used to getting the chance to see their heroes play or the U.S. men's national team or whoever else is coming into play. And it's just great for the city, great for the stadium, great for and people who may be on the fence about even being a soccer fan, seeing what, you know, the because look, as you said, the American outlaws, all that stuff will be there, all the bells and whistles because it's full capacity. So... A chance to see that you could get more kids interested, and that's what we want as well, right? Yep, absolutely. All right, let's get on to the San Jose game, guys, before we run out of time. Organized chaos. That's what uh, Tim Milia said about Carlos Almeida's team. Uh, this also is a rematch of a wild game, chaotic game in the playoffs last year, sporting one in penalties. What are you looking forward to most in this game, Allie? I'm excited to see Cade Cowell and the matchup yeah. between him and Gianluca Busio. We talked yeah. with Busio at training, and that's something that he's looking forward to in the match. You know, it's always great when you can, you know, put two young rising stars up against one another. And whether it's, you know, just kind of like a measuring stick, like, oh, who's wearing? But they're both insanely quality, talented players that are not just, you know, names being thrown around in the mix of young rising stars, but are probably very much so at the top of that list. I mean, I'm going to be interested to see how Sporting approach. Are they going to approach it the same way they approached this game at the weekend? We know San Jose played different as organized chaos. It's kind of like heavy metal football. They go for it from the very start. <laughs> heavy metal football. Yeah, I like, like that. Jurgen Klopp sort of <laughs> that type of. They will go for it and they'll run at you and they'll they'll try and really pressure. So I think Busio Ilya they could be key mm-hmm. from this week. Players who like to protect the ball. I mean Ilya wouldn't give it away in a phone box. The, anybody that comes anywhere near them, they're I mean, they're going to be bombing on the whole, the whole game. So it'll be interesting to see how they they approach it and how they deal with it, and which players play in which positions. Because as I said, I'm sure there will be that lingering thought in Peter Vermees's mind: do, do you fix it if it isn't broken? But of course, you have to be pragmatic. You're coming up against a different team, a different style of play, and he'll probably set up his team the best way he thinks he's going to get the three points. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach it. If you look at all the chances that uh, San Jose scored on in the last game, in that playoff game, Christian Espinoza was crucial coming up the flank, the right-hand side. Sporting KC have got to deal with that. Uh, He's a really good player. He's a designated player. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about 
Cade Cowell and and what a you know what a beast he is physically and rightfully so. And Jackson Ewell, should he have been with the U twenty threes instead of Jean Luca Busio? That's another yeah. storyline. But for me, you 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 can't forget about Christian Espinosa. Sporting Casey's ability to deal with him and prevent him from putting that service in up that right hand side is going to be a big key to uh, to to try to get a result out of this game. Uh, guys, that's going to do it for us this time around. It's been a lot of fun. Our thanks to Tim Melia for uh, joining us on the show, and our thanks to you for listening and watching uh, the Sporting Kansas City show. Hopefully we'll be talking to you after another win at San Jose coming up next week. Again, we are presented by Michelob Ultra. That's going to do it for this edition of the Sporting Kansas City show. So long, everybody.